1: There's been a lot of discussion in part of our leadership team about where we should go in the next four weeks. And many months ago, we came to the conclusion that it would be wise for us to talk about money matters. And that was a hard topic because that's something that I'm not always comfortable to speak on is money. Probably because most of the time pastors are accused of always speaking on money or begging people for money or arm twisting them for money. Always have, in a sense, our hand into your pocket. And I didn't want to be accused of that. And yet at the same time, I'm reading the newspapers and I'm affected, our family is affected by this recession that's going on. And of course, we who live on the island, we feel it differently. And even as I began to put together this series, I noticed that things are moving quite rapidly from the federal level to the state level, to our particular level, wherever you might live. So all of us are being affected by this money issue. And so I said, well, I know that God speaks And he speaks even though 2,000 years ago that his truths are relevant for us today. So they're timeless truths and that we could look at what God had to say. So I began to go through scripture and sense that this is where the Lord would have us to go on these money matters and as I went through this material I came across some of the arguments that people might throw at us and maybe you're hearing the same thing why that maybe it'll be harder for you to embrace these truths the first one an attitude might be that you look at all of this and say you know this Bible it's gonna take away all my fun it's gonna tell me what I should be doing with money work 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 and give it all away and I don't want to hear that and so there will be people that probably will not want to hear these messages I'm reminded what Richard Halverson said, who used to be one time the chaplain of the U.S. Senate, who himself was a great man of God, trained at Wheaton and then Princeton. And here's what he had to say. He said, Jesus Christ said more about money than about any other single thing. Because when it comes to a man's real nature, money is of first importance. Money is an exact index to a man's true character. All through scripture, there is an intimate correlation between the development of a man's character and how he handles money. And so I think that some of us might have a little bit difficult time because we know that when we approach the subject of money and what we're going to do with that money and how we're going to get it and how we're going to spend it, that it's going to be reflective on our character and we don't often like to have the candle of the Holy Spirit reveal deep pockets in our character that might be flawed and need to be corrected because we're so much used to the habit that we're in. And then we hear others that speak, someone else by the name of Randy Alcorn, he's written a lot of books, a tremendous author, in his book called Money, Possessions, and Eternity, he writes this tongue-in-cheek. He says, were I the Bible's editor, I would cut out much of what it says about money and possession. Anyone can see it devotes disproportionate amount of space to a subject of secondary importance. When it comes to money and possessions, the Bible is sometimes redundant, often extreme, and occasionally shocking it turns many readers away and worse yet tries to interfere with our lives and leaves us feeling guilty or to avoid guilt feelings it forces us to invent fancy interpretation so we can get around its plain meanings and so there may be some that are going to say the same thing I don't want to hear this again because it's going to take away my fun let alone knowing that scripture will not only not take away your fun but it will enhance your life and give it real meaning and real purpose and it does have answers to our finances for now and eternity and then there's another attitude, and that's often taught by some well-meaning Bible teachers. And they will accuse other Bible teachers when those Bible teachers teach on money and how to get out of debt and how to use your money wisely. And they'll say, man, they're just talking about felt needs. We need to go back to doctrine. We need to know what the spirit of God says. We need to know about Jesus Christ and what he has to say. And all that other stuff is pop psychology. pop psychology." Oftentimes they could be true because some guys do. Unfortunately, they develop their message and then they try to find verses that will support different points. And it is a lot of pop psychology. But to throw every message about money into that camp of pop psychology is dangerous. Especially as I've gone through scripture and I've learned some great truths from my own life that's altering how Carol and I make and spend and use our money. And then there's a pendulum that swings the other way. You'll have another group of preachers and Bible teachers that are in the health and wealth issue where they'll talk about how that you can make a whole lot of money and that seems that all they want to talk about is a prosperity theology. And how dangerous that is because it distorts Scripture, it twists Scripture, and often it's focused on that particular person and and not really upon God. So we have those that don't want to go into the Bible because it teaches of money, others that go way too far on money, and others that will leave the whole subject all alone. And that can become very, very dangerous, and we ought not to do that. I especially like what C.S. Lewis wrote. And those of you that are not familiar with C.S. Lewis, he lived primarily during World War II and a little bit after that. And he came to know Christ through another great author. And so he really embraced Christianity. And his book called Mere Christianity is nothing more than radio talks that he gave mostly to the uh, British people during World War II. And here's what he had to say about money and possessions. He says, "...he who has God and everything has no more than he who has God alone." So it is true that some will be great with money and some will not have money. It's not so much about money, but it does matter, is what is our relationship with the Lord. And I pray that would be very, very meaningful to you. Now let me just share a little burden that I have on my heart with you today. I spent a lot of time going through this material, like I said, and for me this study was was a great, great eye-opener. I was overwhelmed by how many verses that God speaks about money. Do you know that Jesus Christ himself spoke twice as much about money than he did about faith and prayer combined? More than what he spoke about heaven and hell, he spoke about money and possessions and covetousness and all that deals with that. I found over 800 verses in the Bible alone that spoke about money. And then I, sh- I looked in scripture and how that money and our possessions and what we do with it and our attitude about that is so reflective of our intimacy and our knowledge of God that I was so convicted So brought to a passion for you that maybe this past week while we were praying for you, we started carrying some of your burdens. I don't know you. People didn't call in about you. And I don't want to make assumptions and certainly don't want to make judgments. But I know that some of you are really struggling with your finances. You are concerned whether you'll be able to educate your kids in private school this year, let alone when they get to college some of you are struggling with an automobile that's near breakdown some of you have problems within your own house your dwelling and you don't know if you have enough money to get it repaired right now some of you are struggling that if you were to make some major decision like even surrendering to go into the ministry how could you ever afford to do all of that some of you you hate to get the mail maybe on the 15th of every month because you're inundated with with letters and bills that are coming your way and folks I love you and I know that you're going through those struggles I I feel for you and I'm not here to condemn you. I'm certainly not looking down on you. But I want you to know as if I found somewhat of a cure to cancer that I've got some biblical references this week and the next three weeks that I want to share with you that will begin to help perhaps heal you in the area of your finances and even more than that, the root issues that you might be struggling with that has brought you to this particular point. And now you're almost in a free fall, but you don't want to be there. I know you don't want to be there. And you wonder, how do I get out of this thing? You don't just want someone to drop a verse on you now and then, or to look down on you. And as I look at you that I love so much, I'm thinking about all the people that are not here today. And I'm not here deciding what reason that they're not here. But I'm thinking, they're going to miss this message on why money matters so much. And this is a foundational message to build the next three messages on that. Because if we don't get this message, the rest of it could sound like pop psychology And then while we're singing these wonderful worship songs, I'm listening to the the traffic drive up and down the poly. And I'm thinking about all these people are just one visit away from their supervisor where they might be terminated from their job or put on furlough and how they might be struggling. And here we are as a church that God is blessed with the word of God that we now can help those people. And so we right now can not only help them with eternal truths like salvation by faith alone in Christ, but we can help them on the road until they do die and they have to give an account of their life before the Lord. And so I'm, I'm so Passionate, so burdened, and yet so excited about these truths that I'm going to pray more for us that we'll embrace these things as God would have them for us. In just a moment, I'm going to show you a testimony about a lady who is struggling, and she's very much like you and me. And that maybe these messages would not only impact a person like her, but people like her in your life and my life as well. I'm excited what God can do to release a person from the burden of unnecessary financial bondage and bring them to a point to understand that their finances is so much connected to their relationship with the Lord that it's really not about finances as it is about faith. It's not so much about bucks as it is about belief in a relationship with God. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I do, I do thank you for those that have come alongside each of us from time to time to help us, to remind us that there are a lot of Gwens out in the world that need to know that you love them and that father that the word of God is really a key that can unlock a life of joy in you and that you remind us through your word that our life will not be a life without problems and challenges but it will be a life with a problem solver in it you and so lord help me through the next Three Sundays beyond this, to be able to unlock the truths of God's word, to help people to have a deeper, richer relationship with you that will spill out into their own personal choices and how they acquire and manage and distribute the resources that you, a very generous and bountiful God, provides for us. And let us do it with great joy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There are a lot of questions we could ask, but probably the most important and most haunting question is, is why do money and possessions mean so much to the Lord? And that would be a great discussion to have, perhaps on the way home or if you're at the beach later this afternoon. But I would like to submit some answers to that question that I think would help us to understand why would God put 800 verses in the Bible and Jesus Christ speak so much about these truths to us today. Why would it be so important But let me give those to you now, at least some issues that you might be able to embrace and to see why we need to be here every single Sunday. Hear these messages and invite our friends to hear them as well. Here's number one. God uses money as a test of our money management skills before entrusting us with spiritual matters. The Lord is in control of everything we cannot control and he loves us and he often puts before us opportunities for us to acquire and to manage and then distribute our funds. But often he'll do that before he'll entrust us with spiritual matters. And so if you look at the verse in Luke chapter 16, it's very clear, and it says, So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches to come? In fact, there's a passage of Scripture that even indicates that how we address and our attitude toward money can affect even our eternal salvation. Now, the passage isn't referring to if I have money, I should give it away so I could do good deeds so I can go to heaven. But it's often said in the context that we look to our money and we also look to that to be our savior, the one who'll take care of us now and who cares about the future and we neglect our personal salvation when the Lord says, hey, turn away from that. And you need to look to me, Jesus Christ, as your only hope to get into heaven. But some people are so enslaved with money and what it will buy for power, possessions, and prestige, and position, that they really miss personal salvation that could be found in Christ. And so often before the Lord allows us to get involved in spiritual matters... In spiritual leadership, it's looked upon how we're going to handle our personal finances. In fact, there's even passages of scripture that talk about those that are deacons and elders, how they manage their own home, and it's their family. But it's not just how they rear their kids merely. It's how they run their family in all areas to provide for their family before they're qualified then to have a spiritual role somewhere else. So it's tied to how we'll be handling spiritual matters and perhaps some of us will learn some great truths that will prepare us even for a greater spiritual impact upon the lives of other people. Here's a second reason. God uses money to reveal the true story of our value system. You know, some of us have a value system, but sometimes that value system will be displayed more by how we use our money. And I'd like to give you two illustrations from scripture. One is merely a a parable, but the other one is more than that. It's a real story. And the first one is the wealthy middle-aged man. So let's look at this story. I'm going to read this to you, but I want you to pick out from this what his value system was, and it'll reveal his true value system. Jesus said to this person, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to his disciples, and he says this, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no more room to store my crops? So he said, I'll do this. I'll pull down my barns, and I'll build greater ones, and there I'll store all my crops and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years, so take ease now. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you've provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Then he said to his disciples, the Lord now turning to them and saying this, Therefore I say to you, based on that story, do not worry about your life and what you'll eat nor your body, or what you'll put on. And then I put in bowl print. Life is more than food and body is more than clothing. Well, one truth that we can gain from this parable is that this man acquired more. And the more he acquired, the more he had to store that. And I think that some of you can easily see that we're seeing that here in America today, even on our own island. Carol and I have only lived here four years and just maybe a month or two. And we've seen just in the four years how many of those storage unit building facilities have been built just in the South Shore area. How many of you have seen those things popping up all over? And those things are filled with stuff in there that people just don't have room for in their own house. And I I can't judge them and they just need to put stuff in there. And maybe you have some of your stuff in there. And there may be a legitimate reason that your stuff is in there. So I'm not trying to put down everybody who uses those. And I'm not saying don't use them. But I'm saying they're around because we don't have room in our houses any longer to put those things. And now people have to pay exorbitant amount of money to put their belongings in that. Let me tell you a story of how expensive these things can be. You recall when we came to the island that this, the, the stream backed up and we had a flood in here. And we hadn't moved into a house yet. So our belongings were stored in the back of the fellowship hall. The flood wiped out a lot of our stuff, soaked up the water, and so we knew that we couldn 't keep it here and so there was a family, a dear family in this church that felt our pain and our loss, and so they said, what we 'll do is why don 't you get a storage unit and put it in that storage unit?" Well, we found basically the cheapest we could find that was near our place that would be safe for our belongings we didn 't have a lot it wasn 't a big room it wasn 't even as big as a garage it was just a, just a room. We put it in there. The bill alone was over $700 a month for that. So we had our stuff in that room for one month, and then we moved that out of there to another location. The church and the leadership here was kind enough to give us a room on the second floor that was empty. They made room for that. I'm only saying this, that here we have our money. We buy more stuff, don't have room for it. We put them in another place to store all this stuff, but it costs us monthly basis to be able to keep that there. So bottom line for this guy. His value system was, I want to accumulate more. Look at how much that I have because it was himself. It was all centered around himself. I'll have an easier life. Now, let me show you another value system about someone who is not wealthy. This wasn't a wealthy middle-aged man. This was a poor elderly lady. Look back at the passage here. Now, Jesus sat opposite the treasury and he saw how the people put money into the treasury. Let me stop and tell you this. The first story was a parable. Jesus really did sit next to the treasury. These are real people going through real life experiences. And so now he says, I'm watching as things are happening. He says, how many who were rich put in much? It says, and many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and she threw in her two mites. Now, we don't know what mites are today. I mean, you don't see mites today unless there's something that you get in your ears, your cat or dog has. But mites in those days was little commodities of money, but they were very, very, very small amounts. In fact, one commentator said it was about the amount of one sixty-fourth of one day's pay. And so she had her little mites. She was watching others put in. And so what her little two mites were was a little bit of a penny, a little fraction of money. And so she chucked hers in to this treasury. Now when you hear the word treasury, I don't want you to think necessarily as a bank. This happened to be by the temple. And there was different areas as you would move into the temple. And this is the one primarily where the women would go. There were 13 different receptacles that looked like trumpets, upside down trumpets. So you would drop your money in and it would kind of filter down in and fill it up. That money was used in the temple for a couple of reasons. One, it said that it was used to take care of those who were poor. It took care of taking care of the financial needs of those who were serving in the temple. But more than that, it also took care of the actual upkeep of the temple. It would buy wood. It would buy the supplies to make sure that the people would have a place to go to worship. here was this lady. She was very poor. And let's go on with the story. She threw her money into that treasury. And it goes on to say this. So he called his disciples to himself, Jesus did this, and he said, Assuredly, I say to you, that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given into the treasury. That means both men and women. For they all put in out of their abundance. So they gave money, but it was out of their abundance. And then I put in bold print. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. So if I could take from these two stories about how that our money will reflect our value system, this guy kept getting more money and he kept building more barns to put his stuff in so he'd have an easier life because it was all about him. And the Lord was saying, don't worry about your clothes. I'll take care of that. So it's not about you. His value system was money is about me. This story is talking about a lady who gave all that she had, and so for her, when she gave it, it was about others. It was to take care of the temple. It was to take care of the poor. It was to take care of those who were facilitating worship. It was not about her. It was about others. So when we look at our funding that God has given to us, he says, money matters to me because it's going to reveal to you first, as it reveals to me, what your value system is and what you do with the money that you have. Carol and I are blessed to be paid by serving here at the church. And as we get our particular checks, we have to make decisions on what do we pay first. And we have this bill, that bill, this bill, that bill, and what we need to give to the church as well. We are facing the same struggles you are. And as I look at this, I know that how I'm going to spend my money is gonna reflect is what is my relationship with the Lord. So while you think these messages are a lot about money, it's mostly about our personal walk with with God. Right? let's look at the third reason that money matters to the Lord. We learned how that with money, it's going to test our spiritual level. It's going to test our value system. Number three, God uses money to make a difference financially in our family tree. And I thought that was interesting as I went through this passage of scripture. It says a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Now that is a very important truth there, to their children's children. So then I did a study on inheritance. Not so much that I'm inherited in the Christ, etc., but our finances from the Old Testament. And here's what I discovered. I discovered that in the Old Testament, as the families would acquire resources, we'll say, possessions, today we'd say mostly money, and with the money we'd get possessions, but mostly just possessions, they would have land and flocks, and they would have farming, and they would develop more land, etc., they had possessions. Now what it said in the Old Testament was that when they were to provide an inheritance for their family, that if they had children, the firstborn would get a double portion. A double portion means that the firstborn would get twice as much of the division of the property, of the possessions, than the rest of the kids. And that's because dad loved the firstborn more. No, that's not why. There was a reason, because the firstborn being then obviously older than the rest of the kids, those kids would still still need to have an older, more mature person. Who hopefully have gained and been mentored by a godly set of parents so that this person had right value systems. At the same time, would know how to wisely, maturely use the possessions that he would gain, then not for his own use, but also for the provision for the younger family members as they were developing their lives and being married as well. Then you see this where it says that the grandfather is supposed to provide an inheritance for the next generation below his own children. So it would kind of skip over that child. So in a sense, I could say, well, my dad, he gave my, his inheritance not to me, but he would give it to my kids. Well, you might think, oh, man, I'm cheated. No, not really, because what should have happened is that my grandfather should have bypassed my dad and given it to me. Now that would take some great mental thinking right here, why that might occur. There could be a lot of economic reasons, but I'd like to reduce it to something that I think is far more important than just how much money did someone get. I really believe that God's higher value system is in the cohesiveness of a family, that he wants the family to be as close to one another emotionally, socially, specially developing each other. In other words, we, we talk about Ohana here, nobody's left behind, you're part of our family. Well, you are when you're in an intimate family. Not so much just by birthright only, but that that ohana. So the ohana takes care of one another. Now let's put that into the American economy. What's happened is the family has been so fractured for so many years because of a lack of applying God's principles of why money matters to him that now what's happened is these people are, 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 are in need or they think they're in need And so now they want to acquire more. So kids, and we're talking about adult kids, are acquiring more by borrowing, etc. They get into a jam. A catastrophe happens. There's no family or, or a village to help a family to really be there for them. So now we begin to look to the government. And of course, then the government gets out of hand and now we have what we have often where we are today. And I don't want to get too much into our political arena as much as I'm telling you that it does not take rocket science to know that God's economy was that the family takes care of themselves first, the church family, God's people, takes care of one another their first, before they take care of others, Galatians six ten, and then we shouldn't be looking necessarily to outside interest Now, let's go a little bit further with that analogy. Why we're doing this is to show to the world an opposite, a Christian worldview than what the worldview has, so that people will embrace a family that is financially healthy. I didn't say rich. We're not talking about riches. We're talking about financial stability. Looking at a godly community, a faith community that's working together to take care of one another. And people that are looking at that and saying, what you have, I want. Now, what we have is principle, our principles. Now, these principles are born from God's word. And so what they really want is what we got and how we got it. And we got it from a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's all skewed today. So God says money does matter because often that'll help you with a family. Now, let me tell you the converse of that. Then money also can divide families. I wouldn't be a bit surprised if those that are hearing my voice today are living in a family that is broken apart because of the misuse of inheritance. You know the story where there's a will, there's a relative. You've heard that. You know, so when there's a will, where there's an inheritance, people are always trying to grab money, and it's dividing families and not putting them together. So it's not just merely handing money to people, it's handing that money as an external commodity based upon the use of an internal relationship that they've learned.